So, I was thinking about Dungeons and Dragons. No way. And how we play with friends over the internet. Yes. And we used to, or I guess you used to play with like friends in person. Mm-hmm. We also participate in sports in our regular lives that involve like leagues that people can show up to. Do you know of in your local area Dungeons and Dragons leagues or open nights that you can Ooh. participate in? Because we were we were chatting we were chatting pre pre record. And he was telling me about the plethora of, Justin was telling me about the plethora of disc golf leagues in his area. And I was like, you know what? I bet if they have uh, 750 disc golf leagues per hour in Dallas-Fort Worth, <laughs> uh, they probably have a lot of D&D that you could play too. Yeah, I don't know of any. However, I don't think I've looked it up either. I would be shocked and probably appalled if there wasn't at least one game store that had an Adventurers League or some kind of show up and play thing set up within 15 or 20 minutes from me. Because of where I am, I can get to a lot of places within 20 minutes in the greater DFW area. I do know where we're looking to move. There is a game store that has, I can't remember if it's weekly or monthly open table game gaming. And they, I also, uh, there's a board game coffee shop there that I am excited to go check out. Is that like open table, like open table D&D? Like GMs just like running games and they, it's like yeah, freeform, not like yeah. not like AL. It's just like, yo, I'm gonna run a game. You show up and we're figuring it out. Like that when was you show up, my understanding. That's wild. Of, by the of way, what I I read, you know, I could be wrong. Do you just I, show up with like a binder of character sheets and you're like, I'm ready for anything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as the the GM, you just you show up with something prepped and then you're like, all right, you can make a, you know, third level character. Uh, here's your character sheet. Yeah. Or maybe you sign up beforehand and you get yeah. like a primer to go. And so you know what to expect and create a character because it's not fun to create a character optimized for combat and then show up to a one shot that is mostly npc role play maybe mystery solving detectiving right detective working yeah you make like a you make like a barbarian that wants to fight giants and you show up to a one shot that's about like a heist and you're like uh whoops i guess <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just I just googled game store, and there's there's a lot near me. I don't know what they have for game nights though. 
Yeah. Do you have any? So just you know of just over my shoulder, all those D and D books. Yes, came from basically the same place, Millennium Games, okay. oh. in Henrietta, New York, and they have a very large uh, gaming room. They run um, a lot of uh, tabletop and what's the right um, TCG events so there's like warhammer stuff uh pokemon magic the gathering chess uh and i believe they at least used to do i think it was like wednesdays was like a D night was like an open table kind of thing um kind of similar to what you were saying i don't remember if it was an adventurers league or it was an open table kind of thing but like they definitely had um you know, pre-pandemic times, they had like a lot of, you know, this night, that night of the week, different types of stuff going on all the time. Like you'd go in there and there's just like, you know, flyers up for something constantly. Um, sort of a great place, sort of like a bastion of uh, our gaming um, our gaming world. There's like comic shops and other gaming stores in the area who have who like sell D&D books who like maybe they're running some super tiny like small stuff but they're the only one that like has um like more publicly available space um interestingly enough Justin this store Millennium is right next to the railroad (laughs) is it it is. Have you ever have you ridden the the rails on this particular railroad? I have not. I have not. I believe it's typically used by CSX for, for freight. For freight, might see an Amtrak here or there, but I was gonna say they share lines. It is a it is a long train ride to New York City because most of the. Uh, most of the train line in upstate New York is owned, I believe, by CSX, which gives priority to freight over passengers. So if there's a lot of freight traffic, the passengers have to wait. So it can make the trip quite long. I've ridden the train from Boston to Ohio once or twice. And yeah, there are many, many stops waiting for the freight to to go by so we could get on the track yeah it's like reasonably economical and like pretty hands-off obviously because you just hang out but um it's like if you can afford the ticket to fly it's just it's so much faster it's like a 50 minute flight to fly to new york city (laughs) from here so it's like you should probably do that if you can afford it yeah it's it's i i really wish we had high-speed trains because i do like taking the train the train ride from boston to ohio was a very long ride because it's not a very fast train when we went to europe a couple years ago we took the train from london to paris and much actually i don't know how how many miles that is but it only took a couple hours because it's a very speedy train 
and when you're when you're getting railroaded it's it's nicer when you can get to the the action quicker and i mean that both on an actual train and as it relates to D&D. So let's talk more about that. Hello. 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 Welcome to another grisly episode of Close to Encumbrance. I'm your survival expert co-host, Justin, along with my brave adventurer slash cousin thomas it's a pleasure it's a pleasure to be here thank you for having me i don't know where grizzled came from but i i don't know either i'm also not sure what we're surviving other than life in an otherwise rather insane world but um both the imagined one we find ourselves in so often uh, as a result of playing the tabletop role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, and the real world that we find ourselves a part of, which may yes. or may not be a simulation, <laughs> and birds aren't real. No, birds are definitely right. real. They are. Are yes. you sure? Yes. I saw a sticker on a disc golf basket that said "birds aren't real." And no, I'm that, inclined to believe it. No, the they just. Uh, some letters got rubbed up so it's birdies aren't real it's because the person's not good at disc golf got it yeah birdies aren't real that makes sense yeah but we're not talking about birds and whether whether or not they're real i'm i'm unconvinced i'm not really i know birds are real we're talking about railroading and why it's a good thing but also a bad thing but also a good thing it's both maybe let's find out thomas what what is railroading at least to you or if you have a legit definition i don't think there is a legit definition i feel like it's a a slang term almost in the rpg ttrpg world yeah so i I think one of the ways that i I see railroading is that it's a way to guide a story. Um, It's presenting characters with a predetermined challenge with a finite goal and guiding them through to that goal. It sounds a lot like just GMing, but I think where railroading comes through in that is that it's sort of like... um, trying to think of the right uh i i think maybe like watching someone um with like a toddler that's like just learning to walk is like a good example of railroading where the toddler is just like toddling along and like starts to veer off and they just kind of like gently push them back in a general direction and then the toddler mm-hmm. like goes off in another direction and they kind of like usher them back in the right direction and it's like it's gentle nudges and they're going in the right direction and the toddler like is still doing what they want to be doing they're still toddling on ahead and the the gm the parent in this case is just you know gentle little nudges here and there and i think that's i think that's like good railroading 
is that it is it's it's more railroading is more help than it is anything else um yeah the other point that i'll make right at the top is that i want players to be aware of and to consent to the idea that they are being railroaded in a game and we talked about this i think last week before one of our games where a a a way that i would describe this is if i'm trying to run a pre-written module like something from tales from the yawning portal like the sunless citadel i want my players to agree to try and do that module that's to me that is them agreeing to be to let them be railroaded through the module rather than them saying we have free will as characters in this world of 5e so we could choose to leave the dungeon and go do whatever we want and that's not wrong per se there's not anything wrong with that i think this is part of the we, we should start making lists of like the things that I feel like I want to come back to and say that we need to say like every episode comes back to like the session zero type of comment of like, does everyone want to try and play the dungeon? Right. And everyone's like, yeah, I want to try and beat the Sunless Citadel. Then you go, okay, I will run you through that and I will help you. I will help your characters try and do that. That's like good railroading. Bad yes. railroading is like, hey, do you guys want to play some D and D? And they're like, yeah, sure. And you don't tell them that you're playing the Sunless Citadel, and they show up, and you bring them into the starting village of Oakhurst, and they talk to someone in the tavern, and they like tell them some, you know, uh, some like riddle or some riddles or some like rumors, and they're like, oh, like what's the, you know, like what's the other nearest city? And they're like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Neverwinter is like a, you know, a ten day journey down the road and they're like you know i feel like we we need to go shopping we should go to neverwinter <laughs> and then you as the gm like like hard railroading them somehow to the on like to the sunless citadel from there and then them being like yeah. but wait why are we here like we wanted to go to neverwinter like that like right off at the top whole pod that's bad railroading is like the players want to do something and they didn't know that they were signing up to do th- that they weren't signing up to do whatever they want yeah so that i mean that's like my whole take of good and bad railroad that's it cut the cut the app we're done that's it i think there's a lot more to get into and i want to hear yes. what you think railroading is i really like your analogy of a toddler walking and gentle nudges i think that's spot on and you could apply that to bad railroading too where you know the toddler starts to walk and the adult is like no you're you're walking the wrong direction and then turns them and faces them the direction that the adult or gm wants the toddler slash players to go right i think there's a middle ground of and it it leans more towards the good railroading with the, the gentle nudges where the players might not know there's a destination and stops along the way 
to get to that destination that the GM wants them to go down. And the GM, and it's part of a GM's responsibility, is to create this kind of illusion of choice. So it's, you know, you, like you said, you're in Oakhurst, and the players are like, I want to, let's let's head to Neverwinter, right? And the GM could take that and be like, well, on your way, you run into this person who needs your help their child got lost in the ruins nearby and those ruins just happened to be the sunless citadel and being do good adventurers they're like we'll go help you get your child and all of a sudden you've gone from off the tracks going to neverwinter to shop to back on the railroad tracks without the players ever knowing yeah i in a sense i'm imagining like this is this is like a highway like they've gotten on a highway and you're you're putting these like big billboards of like some delicious restaurant to get off on and the players were like no we're driving to the next city and then you're like next stop right here delicious adventure and the players are like we could maybe take we could maybe make a stop and it's like that's that's like the the beautiful way of gming is that the players are like we want to do this thing and you don't say no you just give them another thing to do that sounds enticing and Mm -hmm. you just make it seem like it's you just you just give them something else to do that sounds like a good idea that isn't saying no you don't go to neverwinter right it's like you just gotta like you know find a way to roll it in the illusion of choice i love that that's like the yeah it's the thing that you don't want to think about when you're playing because it can kind of spoil it a little bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it ruins your immersion if yeah. you think too too hard about it because it could be as simple as you know there's two the the road splits in a fork right left or right and one of those ways is the way that you are supposed to go it's the right the quote unquote right answer as a player it's like if we go left we save the princess save the world we go right we're all doomed and we die for all you know they both go to the exact same spot per the the gm's design because that's just it's just easier for a gm to plan you know one thing one save the princess encounter than it is to plan a well if they go this way i'm gonna do this and we're gonna have all these different things but if they go this way i'm gonna do this and we'll have all these other things and then they end up just turning around and you're not ready for it anyway the the alternative that i thought about there where i was thinking like in in open world exploration you don't want players to just always make the right choice right so you don't want them to always just like you know face a literal fork in the road and pick left or right and never have to backtrack or never face the repercussion of going like um n- never like failing to gather good intel or uh you know making a bad judgment call off of some read or trusting someone that they shouldn't have trusted right like things that they can they 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 have like a an ability to 
make decisions about not just like pure randomness like if they have like no way of choosing other than just like which way do you want to go left or right um the i don't think that it's railroading to have it be like go down the road and it just like dead ends or like something happens and they just have to turn around in a sense like i don't think that's like you know we want to go to neverwinter and you can't go to Neverwinter. I think it's just like, you know, some dungeons have dead ends. Some like roads just end at like, you know, the side of a mountain. And right. and I think that's for for me, that's like the important thing to remember when I'm prepping is that like it's okay to have some misdirection and it's okay to like let the players mess up, but I think when there's an opportunity for that misdirection, I think it's it's good to let the players have an opportunity to make a choice or to find out what the right way is so that they can feel good about making the choice. Like yeah. If they can figure out that one way is a stupid way to go and will waste their time <laughs> and then they can figure that out, then they're like, then that could be like a moment where they like feel good about using survival skills or talking to NPCs or, you know, scouting ahead or like doing whatever. Right. And yeah. And that just, that makes me think of a, a point I wanted to make too, is that I think part of the good railroading versus bad railroading really is just the intent of the railroading, right? Because if you're the GM and if the reason you're railroading is because you, the GM, have a story that you want to tell and you're going to do everything you can to make sure that happens, I would call that bad railroading unless, asterisk, unless you've already talked to your players and you've agreed. But then you're no longer being selfish you're doing what everyone wants to do so that would then fall under the good railroading because you have good intent you're helping guide your players to a story through a story like you said earlier session zero you know agree that they want to be railroaded because they want to run the sunless citadel so and i think intent matters and it's not when we were talking about this and kind of brainstorming I didn't even think of like how intent plays a factor or plays a role in whether or not railroading is good or bad yeah I I think one of the examples that I had that I would call like um, like like physical location-based choices I think can kind of be that's like a huge toss-up on if it's good or bad railroading or on if you should or shouldn't do it it's like really really hit or miss on if you should like move NPCs or move where stuff is your kind Mm -hmm. of idea of like you know left is doom and right is success but really if they go left or right you like would have it be a success because you want them to succeed it's like that i'm kind of torn on that point 
I think a point of railroading that I would say is like um, the the point that I think I would want to be most flexible as a GM is like ideological railroading and like the point that I brought up was like factions so if like a module wants you to be aligned with certain factions or has one side being historically the good the good characters or the bad characters not running with that and rolling with the players um i also think uh you know wedding we had a lot of fun getting npcs involved during tomb of annihilation (laughs) um and i think that's partly because you didn't want us to die so you gave us more power but i don't know if it was like we rolled really well in some encounters and we just like convinced them or if Uh, we didn't even roll well we just role playing wise convinced them um but it felt very empowering because it felt like we just like met some people and we're like yo we're uh we're out here we're trying to get this thing done and they're like hey we're trying to get that same thing done you guys want to uh you want to team up it was like all right sounds great <laughs> and i feel like the the railroady thing is like no these people are just you're just supposed to meet them at this place and then like you either fight them or they like give you some information and you part ways and you make it and it, it feels like there's no character development if they just if like you role play your ass off and the gm's like yeah they were like okay cool bye see you later <laughs> like, <laughs> and you're like i just like poured my heart and soul out to them and <laughs> Yeah, we and just became no- best friends, and they're just gonna they're just gonna dip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not saying like you deserve any of that, but um, it's it's cool that you that it felt like that we were re- rewarded for being nice to some NPCs, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a definitely it was mostly your role playing. I think there was one or two where it was role playing plus your roles. And then encountering artists, for example, that was just, you were just incredibly lucky that I rolled on an encounter table and he showed up when mm-hmm. he did. Okay. Because the way the adventure is written is you will eventually run into him. You just have a chance of running into him very early. And we did. Okay. And you did. Oh. And a lot of people take him out because he's incredibly broken, but that's a whole nother conversation. I know what I was thinking of, and it's the adventure zone. And it's the bugbear. Oh, yeah. In, uh, I think it's in. I think it's in the first arc of Balance. So I think it's when they're doing the Lost Minds of Fandelver, and yeah. like one of them, like Natty Twenty, charms. Was mm-hmm. it Clark? In that's the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Bugbear is Clark. Yeah, and then he no, he's he's a character. He ends up being a character like in all of Balance. He's like it's in like Barry Blue Jeans, right? No, no, not Barry Blue they... Jean. Barry, I mean, Barry Blue Jeans ends up being in it, but like the bugbear is like mm-hmm. in the graphic novels, like multiple of them, <laughs> because like they they, char- they charmed the bugbear so hard that Griffin was basically like, he's your best friend forever. Yeah. Right? And it's yeah. like, I, I know that some people like the rules enough that they're like, I don't, I don't want cool thing like cool things happening are the coolest thing that the rule allows to happen. And yeah. in my mind, cool things happening is 
whatever I think the coolest thing that should happen in this moment is. Yeah, it's it's bending the rules. Yeah. yeah. And it's I think it's why I really liked Taz because they did that a lot. Um I don't know how much of Wicked Empire, the Glass Cannon Network 5e module. It was like a short 10 episode um almost like a dungeon type of thing. It was a pretty like contained story about an island where it was like a pretty hack and slashy adventure. There's a ton of like just stuff that uh Jared Logan, right? Jared Logan, the GM of that, he just like does stuff constantly. <laughs> and I love it because his players are just like, Can I just like do this thing? And they're like, I like I like still have a bonus action and I really want to do this thing. And he's like, Yeah, sounds great. And they're like, hey, uh, my friend's going to die. Can I just, like, spend my action and, like, do this thing to save them? And he's like, yeah, that seems that seems fine. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> like there there's, like, a, um, it's almost like everything's on the table and you can, like, negotiate within the action economy for, like, reasonable things to happen. Um, and it's almost like that's when we think of railroading i feel like railroading is often very high level it's like story location whatever and i think railroading when it gets in a sense um i don't know would you consider it railroading to be only rules as written kind of guy or not guy but like you know be a gm who's like we play raw we play rules as written that's it yeah as you were you were saying this and talking about wicked empire and how he just lets everything fly i was that's exactly what i was thinking is is playing rules as written like to the t is that railroading and i think in a way yeah for sure right you're forcing players and the gm to play the game in a certain way regardless of the impact of everyone's fun right that's the quote-unquote bad railroading or what i've dubbed as bad railroading i'm gonna i'm gonna having i'm I'm just gonna say this is a hot take this is from both of us this is a hot take that playing raw is railroading keep going (laughs) i love this please it's it's yeah i would call it I would call playing rules as written bad railroading and playing, you know, rule of cool good railroading or not railroading at all because you're just you're letting letting it fly. And I mean, yeah, when you're when you're playing rule of cool, you can give the players the illusion of choice on attempting certain to do certain things. So say, you know, a player's like, hey, I want to do X and it's not really in the rules or it's strictly against the rules. And you can say, you can either go, no, that's, that's not in the rules. Sorry. Rules is written. You know, we're on this track. We're staying. Or you could say, let's roll for it. You know, you can certainly try is what I like to say. And I stole that from the 
great Matt Mercer. That's what he says. You can certainly try. And as a GM, if you really don't want them to do it, you can set the DC incredibly high slash impossible and they'll never know. Or you can just straight up tell them like, hey, this is what you need to roll if you want to do this thing. That takes away the illusion of choice if you're telling them what the DC is. So I would say, you know, you can certainly try. And if you want them to do it, set the DC really low. If you don't want them to do it, but you still want them to have fun and think that there's a chance, you know, have them roll and set the DC really high. And you don't have to worry about, you know, breaking or bending the rules if you're not, you're not into that. Yeah, I I think, um, I think a good point of order for me in terms of rule breaking and rule bending and rule of cooling is comparing things um, with equivalent actions in power level and being very willing to let players do things that are similar or lower in power level. Yeah. So for example, I'm going to pick on you a tiny bit. That's fine. Last week take it. in our game, one of uh, in, in the game that you run, uh, one of our players used two bonus actions in a turn. None of us mm. no, none of us noticed. It was like a super mm. intense combat, and he just he used mass healing word, which is a bonus action, and then he uh, moved a spiritual weapon and hit. I think, like in retrospect, it's like whatever. Um, in the moment, if I was GMing and someone was like, "Can I do that?" I would just let them do that and I would just let them use one of those as their action because either one of those is not as as impactful as an action. So right. they're giving like in a in a uh, GM side versus player side in a combat, they're giving me action economy basically. They're seeding action economy to use a bonus action as a full action. It's like raw, you definitely can't use two bonus actions in a turn. But right. if you want to use a bonus action instead of your action, it's like, sure. <laughs> I mean, okay. I'm like, sure. Like, there's no, like, like, name me a bonus action that you would use every turn instead of your, a- like, two bonus actions that you do instead of your action. It's like that you just wouldn't. There, there are always like things that you're supposed to pair with an action because it makes the action better or because your action is enabled by the bonus action. So like right. in his case, I don't, one, I don't know why you didn't just hit him with a normal weapon because he was standing <laughs> next to the character. <laughs> but two, moving the spiritual weapon and then swinging with it versus making an attack with a normal weapon, it feels like that's like the same amount of power. So if you're like, lobbying that amount of your action economy it's like i don't know sure it's weird it's like weird precedent but like there probably are ways to break the game by like swapping using a bonus action in an action slot that I don't know. Double bonus action. Well, that so that <laughs> the thing is, think about it this way: you can't attack because attacking's mm-hmm. an action. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you'd be casting two bonus action spells, and I 
I really, I really don't know how this is. Because, <laughs> like, uh, two-weapon fighting, the bonus action is only if you make an attack with your action. Right. It's really not. So, like, bonus actions are, like, tacked on. So... As far as the, the spiritual weapon, the the benefit is... Actually, I don't know what the damage dice is for his actual weapon, but your damage with a spiritual weapon is 1d8 plus your spellcasting ability modifier. Okay. So it's probably, you know, two points of damage more than a regular attack. Could be, yeah. But you're also able to move that spiritual weapon as part of that that bonus action i think i think it, i i feel like i would even like soft house rule and say spiritual weapon is a bonus action or an action and just say like that is that spell you can use your bonus action or your action to do that you could use your bonus action for something else but if you use your bonus you're action a very to, you're you're very kind and benevolent gm <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're a cleric, and you're spending your all of your bonus actions moving your spiritual weapon and attacking, you're never using healing word. No, but you're using. You should be using other spells or also attacking which with your. Which apparently, this cleric doesn't have. <laughs> other spells. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> other than call lightning, no. Um, oh, that was cool. Uh, that was that was a pretty cool yeah. one, but yeah, no, I mean, it it seems like it's it seems like an upcast in my opinion. It's like casting something as a higher level. It's like an action is like a, an economy slot higher than a bonus action. So using bonus actions as actions feels like only worse for the person who's doing it and not better. Mm-hmm. It's only better in the sense that they get to do two bonus action things but that's like worse than doing an action thing i guess in this case it wasn't because they get this like edge case thing but i don't know yeah because what they the other option would be you know use your bonus action to move spiritual weapon and you could also you know cast any level spell but I think what I was thinking of is that if you're using a bonus action to cast healing, what can you do with your regular action that would be equivalent of attacking with your, your hammer or you know with your spiritual weapon if you allow that as an action? And you could cast a, a cantrip that has a cast time of one action, right? So you could cast Toll the Dead or something like that. And it's... That's even more power. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're on to something with allowing spiritual weapon to be used as an action. Yeah, I think that that definitely is a less optimal move and not something game breaking. But I'm sure there exists some way to abuse, you know, being able to swap bonus actions into actions. Maybe not. Now, now that I'm thinking of it, I'm wondering if you're in like a tank like a cleric tanking situation if you should be using your bonus action to move your spiritual weapon around to keep up that like little bit of dps and then using your action to like disengage or dodge or hide dodge dodge would be good 
well, if you're hiding, you're not really being a tank. A dodge action would be good. Yeah. Or buffing your, buffing your allies with something like bless. Yeah. Or. Just lots, lots. Of, there, there's, there's lots of options. I just might. When it comes back to it, the point is, for me as a GM, I want my players to ask if they can do things. And when they ask, I want them to explain. I want them to explain why they should be able to mm-hmm. do the thing, right? They want to be like, "Can I do this and this?" And it's like, "I want to do this because, like, I'm using I'm using like my energy instead of like I'm gonna swing my hammer in place, but I'm gonna like use my like cleric connection with my spiritual weapon, and it's gonna swing it." And I'd be like. That sounds super cool. You get Let's to do, do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially if you like, if you sprinkle that like sweet little RP seasoning on top of any <laughs> rule of cool. <laughs> yeah. It like, oh my it God. Enhances they, it. Just a little bit of seasoning, you know, really makes the flavor pop. Yeah. You want any sort of off book thing to work, you just sprinkle some RP on it. And then it's so much more incentivized to happen because it's going to make the experience better for everyone, hopefully, assuming your RP, you know, lands, which seems to land almost all the time with our groups. Sometimes. Shout out, shout out to Andrew's, uh, what, what was he, reduced person? Was that the spell? <laughs> yeah. Or reduce? reduce? Is it just reduce? Reduce. It's enlarge slash reduce. Enlarge slash reduce. reduce yeah. slash enlarge. I don't know which order it's in, but he's a he's yeah. a uh, just a human um, monk, mm-hmm. and he had reduce cast on him, and then he did this like crazy like tiny voice, and <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> it was really it was really something. It was great RP seasoning. Yeah, on on that yeah. dish, there was no. There's no off book. It was just, it was just good. It was a good, good RP. It's a good RP salt good day on it. It's an old <laughs> meme. That's a. I'm unhappy that I referenced that because I didn't even like it. I never even liked it when it was a real thing. Uh, I was like, he just throws salt everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Circling back. You had briefly mentioned railroading locations and I wanted your thoughts on when running a one shot versus a campaign when there are times when you have to travel from point A to point B and it's we'll say it's a 10 day or more than 3 days of in game travel time should that travel segment be railroaded in the sense that it's a montage and it's, you know, you guys have to go to this place, you leave in the morning, maybe a, a minute of the GM being like, this is what you see along the way, and then you're there at your destination. I have my own opinions on how this should work, and I'm curious what you think. So I think the goals of the campaign versus one shot 
um, have a lot to do literally with the amount of time that you have to spend on the thing. And it's unfortunate because I think one of the fun things that you can do with travel and adding in either random encounter or what I would call avoided encounter where you give the players an opportunity to travel in a way that they avoid death or attempted death uh, <laughs> is it, it's the uh, it, it's it like displays the danger of the world or displays the um, the the gravity of an affliction that the world is experiencing right if there's like a plague or um, you know uh, a, a plague in terms of like if there's like dragons everywhere or there's been like an an invasion from a from a nation across the sea and there's armies everywhere it's like traveling it's like the players can't really take you seriously that traveling a 10 day overland through uh, a, a place that's infested by this army that would be hostile to your group would be hand waved why would you be able to get through that that would be an adventure in it of in and of itself in it of itself so it's really hard to get around when it's in a one shot so I made the choice in or I've made choices in running a one shot where I basically just start it with no travel and Mm -hmm. I roll all the stuff that would happen before the travel as like background info that people got and then I tell them where they ended up and they could fill in the details of if something happened if they wanted to be like well did we experience any you know hardship on our way here I'd be like did you I don't know you can tell me if you did yeah. Do you want to be? Do you want to be at half health right now? Do you want to like have just fought an <laughs> ogre? Like you can, you can make that up. But I, I want I, a plus one sword from fighting that ogre. That's what I want. The short answer for campaign long travel, or even short travel, is that it needs to be canonically appropriate. If there, if it's a dangerous world, and travel across the infrastructure or lack thereof is dangerous it shouldn't be entirely uh hand waved right do you think how do you feel about so say you have a 10 day travel time right you know you're going on a journey from a to b it's going to take 10 days and I think this is a good middle ground, and I'm wondering if you would agree, where it's you hand wave chunks of that time, like maybe two two days, nothing happens, or nothing that warrants a quote-unquote encounter. It's like maybe you describe something cool they see, or you could ask the players, like, what cool things do you think you saw, or what have you been doing over this time? And then you have a day or two or a half day of you know actually playing it out and then you know hand wave some more so that you know it doesn't take you 
a month of real world time, you know, four plus sessions if you're playing once a week to get from A to B when it should only be a quick journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's one of the harder parts of GMing is deciding something like this because it can be very boring for the players mm-hmm. to just like you know roll along the road and just like roll a bunch of perception and survival checks and have it be like kind of uninteractive and not really have them doing anything i think it's a good application of scenes like we had previously discussed where you could pull up a scene have them roll some checks you know do something maybe do some theater of the mind combat or encounter um i don't know i i really don't know i'd, I'd have to like i think experience i experience i think i would just make it up yeah. I, I feel i feel like it's almost like you got to feel out if the group is into it right if, is the group into random encounters and they don't care if the campaign drags they'd rather just like you know fight random packs of wolves and you know river beasts or do they want to get to the next city and go to the inn and get their quest and like advance a storyline like if you're playing a pre-written especially um you know if you if you have to travel 100 miles to get to the next big city it's like do they do you want the players to be in Baldur's Gate or do you want them to be traveling across a grassland and roll, you know, beasts from the monster manual for a month? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't and and I don't think I don't think either is incorrect and I think it really honestly comes down to if the players seem like they're bored or not by one or the other. Um I think I would circle back to my point about if you have like a left or a right at a fork and one of them's a dead end and one of them advances the, um, you know, travel, giving the players an opportunity to figure out which way is the right way. I think that's a way that you could handle travel like this, where you give the players an opportunity for the travel to occur quickly and you give them a way that it can unfortunately not run quickly yeah yeah that's a good point and i i'm pretty much on the same same level as you as far as when to kind of hand wave traveling and moving from location to location i took a adventure writing class a couple months ago from a very prominent adventure creator and i won't say who it is because i'm going to blow up his spot a little bit one of the lessons that he teaches in writing an adventure for one shot specifically is you just put them at the spot like that's 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 a a big part of keeping a adventure short concise three to four hours for three to four players Uh, okay so on that point honestly if you have a combat that involves like four enemies and four npcs and it's like a third level encounter and it's like a bit of a grindy 
you know, challenging combat. How long does that take? Half hour, <laughs> probably at least if everyone's engaged in making their turns real quick. Maybe a half hour, maybe <laughs> an hour, maybe three hours. When you do the math on a one shot after running one shots, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't need a world. A one shot needs like, like rooms. Yeah. One location. Yeah. And you put your players at the location and you railroad them into what they need to be doing. Conversation, my my thoughts, conversation, fight. Mm. Conversation, encounter. Yeah. Conversation, encounter. Mm. Boss? Loot, loot resolution, <laughs> boss, sort of like, like goal thing. And then yeah. like the like, optional sixth thing is like exit encounter or um, loot turn in or something because like I think these early things is like let them gather information let them get their feet wet with what's going on let them figure out what's happening after the first encounter that just happened let them fight the big cool thing or encounter the big cool thing or solve the mystery or do whatever and then wrap the story up. Mm-hmm. And if each one of those takes half an hour, that's one, <laughs> two and a half hours. And they don't, they all take more than a half an hour. So that's like four hours. And it's like, it's a one shot. You like, you can write a one, <laughs> like this, this person is so correct and like i don't know what people are on if they're like write this story and have all this travel happen and it's like i don't know what travel is happening other than if you're like you start in a city and you travel to another city and the players are like we travel okay you're in the other city and it's like great (laughs) i (laughs) i don't know if it's just i don't know if we just play mind-numbingly slow but like man it it's like I always get hyped for how much progress we can make, but it's like temper expectations way back. Mm-hmm. It is slow going. It depends on your group too, I I guess. You could have a group of pushers where you're you're just like you're basically a podcast and you're pushing the the pace and you know, you're trying to get as much done as possible or you could have more like our group where it's a mix of pushers and passengers. And we also like to meme and joke and get sidetracked a little bit. So it, it definitely slows things down. But the the main thing is the less freedom you give your players, the faster the game is going to run, generally speaking. Which is like a, a, a check mark in the box of why you should bad railroad. And why bad railroading is sometimes good railroading, which is why at the beginning when I said it's good, it's bad, it's both, it's because they they both kind of have their their uses. And the train on the tracks is best served in a one-shot. So you can, a one-shot that you're specifically trying to get done in 
three to four hours so you can actually get it done and resolve it and everyone can have fun if you're on the railroad because you're trying to go somewhere it means you need to be on the railroad (laughs) right yes yeah if you're on the railroad because you just are it doesn't matter where the railroad goes it's also like um if the trip has to take a certain amount of time and also has to end in a certain place that's not like um i mean that's playing it's playing a video game level like one shots are so much closer to video games traditionally rpg levels than they are a classic the world is your oyster 5e campaign right they're like the story that you see everyone talk about right i i i have a healthy daily diet of 5e shorts on youtube um listening to brennan lee mulligan tell stories about running stuff on dimension 20 or in private games or whatever um and he was telling one where it was like you know the players showed up to a wedding and they like rolled some crazy high check and the the person getting married like didn't actually want to get married so they like knocked out the person that they were marrying and like kidnapped them and rescued them and he just like changed the campaign so that that's what they were doing and like they just like moved it so that that's what was happening and one i don't know how you do that when (laughs) you have three hours and two i don't know like it's it's easy to do that when you're playing a campaign that's open-ended on purpose so i mean it comes it comes back to like are you trying to play to the end of a literal book did everyone come to play to eventually fight tiamat or spoilers spoilers she's on the cover dude like (laughs) literally called rise of tiamat (laughs) sorry uh to fight with or against tiamat yes it's fair could be with or against anyway the right did everyone come to do that or did everyone come to play the first two chapters of that book and then do whatever the heck they want start a circus and become a traveling circus which has happened yeah which is a lot of fun one's not wrong one's not right but i i don't know i think i really really like railroady one shot D as a gm very fun extremely fun to run when it's like a book with the locations are described mm-hmm. and the maps laid out and i just get to role play all these stupid little goblins and kobolds and it's, it's super fun it's, it's also a lot of fun it's a lot of work but it's also a lot of fun to at least for me there are a lot of people that think this module that we're running tyranny of dragons is not fun to run because it has it does have a lot of you know everything's written for you 
but there's also large chunks of it that aren't written for you and it's just up to the the gm to you know connect dots a and q and get everyone from you know a to q in a a timely manner like for our our group for example from the moment you leave greenest it's the end of chapter three when you arrive in el terrell and you start the next part that's the beginning of chapter four so we did fuck all in the book for like two months yes basically but that's because we don't have a railroad we don't have tracks to be on there were tracks and the tracks said you get from greenest to el terrell which is i think like 200 miles across the open plains and a very hostile area not only with like everything that's going on in the book but also just wild animals and goblins and ogres and random stuff that lives in the grasslands but the way it's written is you just go from a to b and you're there and that's it and you could just hand wave that and you could do that and say it's uneventful or you could do what we did and you guys took the road and you've gone to different cities and you've had all these little side adventures and the plot is still progressing and there is stuff that you've uncovered now that you weren't supposed to uncover until later but it's up to the gm to kind of you know fill that a to q gap and it, yeah. it is fun it's challenging but it is fun i think the the interesting thing is that sometimes it feels like we're sometimes it maybe feels like we're in a lazy river and we're floating along in these you know nice little inner tubes mm-hmm. and when we got in the lazy river we could have gotten into a like boat with a motor being driven by someone <laughs> and they could have driven us down the river yes and sometimes i think we forget that that could have happened mm-hmm. and i i worry a little bit about taking too long to finish it because it's it's a long it's a long campaign it's fun mm-hmm. to play for a long time but um i think there's a matter of burnout to be worried about and um it does feel like our last session was impactful in terms of things are happening feels like <laughs> things are going to be moving forward we're in a city <laughs> there were some prophecies there were some big fights some people are probably kind of sort of dying who knows but it's uh yeah like in retrospect if i knew that like if i knew how many chapters were in the book and i had more information to make the choice of spending that much time getting to elterel or just getting to elterel right now i would have said i want to be an elterel like immediately just mm-hmm. Like, I'd rather spend, I think, more time later in the story than earlier in the story. Because it's kind of hard to tell how early in the story we are. Because it feels like (laughs) we're not that early, but we are. You are. But maybe we aren't, but we are. You are. 
you yeah. are. Most definitely are. But I think what I'm, I'm trying not to do, I did this a little bit with Tomb of Annihilation and I hope nobody really noticed, is that I, I sped it up. There were some, some tracks that you guys were on at points and I helped. It was more of a pushing the toddler gently back up and making sure they're going in the right direction to keep things moving because there are sections of that module that are really slow if you play them as written. And I'm trying to embrace more, you know, the yes and, and you guys want to go this direction to get there, then let's do it. And I'm hoping that, you know, as we continue through this story, you're still able to, you know, take these little tributaries off into doing other cool stuff and meeting different things and having these these side quests so to speak yeah it's it's partially just on the players individually to make sure that they uh push and stay engaged too which i think i think we've had two i think we've had like back-to-back good like very solid sessions of engagement because we had one where we were down a player but it was like a shopping slash info gathering and i think it was like a really good like someone's involved and then it gets passed to someone else but like canonically it made a lot of sense that like someone got up to something so like my character went and like you know got this like crazy drink and then started playing loot for the tavern and then like the other people went and started like talking to someone kind of important and then i was over there you know like acting the fool the whole time and they were (laughs) having an important conversation um rather than it was just like they were having a conversation the whole time and my and like me as a player was like doing nothing it's like i felt like i was involved because like i knew what my character was doing and i knew that i shouldn't be participating in the conversation because i was actively (laughs) getting gargle blasted yeah i was getting gargle blasted i was jamming i was gargle blasting it was it was a good i that was that was a good sesh the next one was a good sesh challenging combat hardest one of the whole campaign so far by far i'm very glad that all these dragon-like things haven't seemed to have had fire resistance yet because i just realized i am incredibly heavily specced into fire uh (laughs) damage as a sorcerer i need to swap one of these things for something that deals something other than fire damage did you recognize any of the tokens or any of these creatures from what Mm. from a book that you have wanted to read that you've read some of oh um fizzbands mm-hmm. they're all from fizzbands no i have not yeah every um, single one is from fizzbands i will give you on air advice for gming I, I i speak for no i speak for no one else and this is purely a player asking his gm i would like to see uh more art of a thing mm. when it shows up yeah i literally yeah. don't know 
if the two types of lizard things that we've been fighting, actually three, have arms or legs. <laughs> they do. They all have arms. I have no. Legs. I have. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I honestly, two of them, I'm like, I. They might be snakes. They might also be just like full, like humanoid looking. <laughs> Yeah. like forearms and legs and i it, it was there was like never a good point in combat to ask and i forgot after but like <laughs> i know that the art because like you can tell that the art is really good and i'm like 100 percent certain that the the character sheet art probably mm-hmm. has like a full picture right yes or like does. a token with like a blown up thing um yeah i, I really totally forgot to make handouts for these because the the like big creatures in the module that are pre-written they most of them have handouts and i can usually just yeah show you, you, guys you just handouts. like zap them over to us yeah yeah these, i really i i loved i remember that in toa like we'd encounter something you'd describe it and be like and then it looks like this also i always remember that as being a thing in gcp where you get the ooze and the ahs after it comes through um i just i really appreciate it because i just often can't tell at all what something looks like from the token the big ones that we're fighting that's easier because it's it's a large creature so it's a four by four square so there's just like more token real estate so it it has more of the thing on it so you can tell that it's just this big half dragon ish thing um but yeah the other the other things i'm gonna make some uh some handouts that would be good call That'd be awesome. I know it's. I know it's just another thing. That's more work. <laughs> it's not that much though. But I can just screenshot the. Yeah. The it's like when there's when there's more art behind the token than just that little like, you know, circle that we can see. I just love. I just love seeing it. It's like such a. I feel like it's such an important, um, immersion. Uh, element, for me that like helps. Cause like I'll often even open those and just like have them open on the screen while we're like going through the combat as like background. Cause sometimes like what is on the screen, you know, on the, uh, on the map during a combat can sometimes not be very interesting to look at. Like if your character doesn't have much vision, you might just have like a mostly black screen. This combat was not like that because you could see most of it and there's like burning buildings and streets and it looked like pretty cool, really felt like you were in this sort of chaotic wasteland. But if I'm in like a dungeon and there's like nothing else to see, sometimes I'll just like pull the handouts out and just like have the art. So I just like have something else to look at and kind of like give me more of like something to see. Um, but that feels like that feels like needy player, needy no, player no, 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 energy. No. Not at all, not at all. That's I mean they put them in the modules for a reason. It's because they're incredibly useful, and they also want to show off their artwork, which is really good. Are you pulling out fizz bands? <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of health, lots of damage. Yeah, there we probably. go. I got them. Some of these things are terrifying. <laughs> what are you looking at? Oh man. Okay, one of these looks like the token that I saw. Oh wait, no. Okay, I can't look at this character. I can't look at this statue at all. Uh, Draconian Mastermind. 
Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. look at the stat sheet, so I don't know any more information other than seeing mm -hmm. that. Yep, you're the only one that noticed it. Okay, I also see a full page. Mm -hmm. Full pagers are bad. <laughs> and just think, he hasn't been in the fight at all yet. Uh, so, f foot soldier. Yep. That's the one that turns to stone when it dies. That that small body with the big head on the left is the poison dagger. The one on the right is the mage, the one that was casting spells. So the infiltrator and the mage. Yeah. And then okay, the big chunky these, boy is somewhere. These look so much different than the tokens. Yeah. yeah. The tokens, the tokens make are them even smaller because it's a point five grid. Yeah, the tokens just make them look like they're all head. Yeah, I honestly I mean, thought that I honestly thought the f is mostly head. He is. I thought that I honestly <laughs> thought that the the two smaller of the ones were like snakes. <laughs> it's fair. And I was like, I don't know how this one has daggers, but it's a snake with daggers, and it sounds kind of cool. But all right, I think. I think we're running out of time i think we, we are we had a lot of i think good points about railroads and the locomotive and i think the the biggest takeaway and the most important thing to remember is that playing rules as written is bad railroading yes being inflexible <laughs> on rules is written is bad railroading that's it yeah but also a lot of the good or bad is really dependent on the situation and one of the easiest ways to turn bad railroading into good railroading is just talk to your players and ask them if they're cool with going for a trip on the Amtrak from Fandolin to Chult and seeing where the world takes them. I think when I condense it down for me, more time, less railroad. Less time, more railroad. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's perfect. That's the, the best way. Unless. The best rule of thumb. Unless. 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 Go on. You know what I actually... I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about unless later unless you're playing D, D improv unless like literally the point of your game is improv mm. okay which would yeah. be an interesting concept to like literally play a game whose point is improv yeah that would be fun yeah where just the, a big yes and the game. G, the gm's prep is um maps you like bring some maps that are interesting but like npcs um what you do your quest everything is like collaboratively generated and improvised in the session and you can't have not enough or too much time because you are making up what you're doing in real time <laughs> that sounds i think we need to try this yeah. at some point I think this would be good for a three-player game. 
actually good idea yeah yeah so let's i had something that i wanted to talk about that you you were talking about you know seeing the world when you're traveling and getting more flavor and you're getting to know like what the environment's really like and it made me think of the environment oddly enough and something that i don't use enough and there might be others that do is environmental slash weather effects in D D and in your game and of course the dungeon master's guide has a whole section on it and how it affects your players and i think since we're out of time we should talk about this next episode what do you think your thoughts i would love to talk about weather effects do a little reading in the dmg see what it says a little bit of research i would also like to talk about let's say in the back half next week's episode difficult terrain and cover in combat it feels like i play a lot of games where they are loosely involved yes <laughs> when it feels like they are tools that should be available to the players yes that 100% agree that um go back to almost the meme in our group of tactical combat and yeah. like creating difficult terrain dealing with it creating cover using cover um dealing with enemies in and out of cover all that it's like it often feels as simple as just run up to stuff and punch it in the face and punch it till it dies and you know if you have boxes and tables and rubble and you know in our case we're in a you know a town with a street that's on fire right you could have a lot of stuff going on again sorry gm more stuff for you to prep (laughs) i don't mind i don't mind but you're not wrong though i am very light on the difficult terrain cover but maybe after our discussion i'll crack down as they say i think i just want to talk about the the pros and cons maybe like a a real-time a real-time brainstorming of what's good about it what's bad about it yeah um for both you know terrain and cover i tried to use that a little bit in the last thing that i ran and i think um it was interesting because it forced the players to use some abilities that they don't normally use Mm -hmm. if you remember that i do i do do you thomas have any shout outs you'd like to give this week shout out to past guest of the pod friend (laughs) of the pod jen with two ends for coming on being our first guest maybe being our second guest (laughs) whenever we ask her on the podcast again yes yes we haven't invoked her her name yet so good good call wouldn't be an episode without front of the pod jen with two heads it's true 
I'm gonna echo that shout out because it was great having her on and I love her her support that she's given us thus far in our our march to 100 and you know I want to echo I want to say that I'm proud of Jen and all of the work that she puts into fundraising for children's hospitals through uh, Extra Life and now through running the Boston Marathon it's a very noble pursuit agreed tried very hard respect it gotta put some respect on it alright thanks for listening all seven of you (laughs) maybe eight maybe eight next week maybe maybe that'd be cool maybe eight or nine join us on the march to 100 maybe one day 10 i don't want to be presumptuous hey uh it's it's good to have goals though right hey uh listener number seven this is a special message just for you why don't you send this podcast to one friend of yours and see if they want to be listener number eight maybe even listener number nine thank you i think that can go for all of listeners one through seven send it to a friend listener number three you don't have to send it to anyone this week thank you we appreciate your continued support listener number two you left your lights on please make your way to the parking lot and shut them off listener number one i love that hat it's great really makes your shoes pop great contrast of color I don't know how we can see you because you're listening. But I'm just assuming, based on how well you listened, that you're wearing a nice hat. Follow us on whatever you follow us on. I don't know how that works. Like, subscribe, review. Email us if you have a question, comment, concern, you want If you ask us a question, we'll probably read it live for us on air. Close to encumbrance at gmail.com. I think that's everything for this app. Tune in next app to listen to us talk about weather and terrain. It's going to be great. Maybe not as grizzly, grizzled as this episode, but I still think great. Oh, one more thing before I forget. Actually, last thing. May all your rolls be 20s. See you later.